Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the Strategists. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Ishit Bashojani and Brian Landerman. Today, we explore the negative effects of shutting down debate, how ownership can change things, and earning trust versus immediately getting it. All concepts can encourage or discourage healthy debate internally. Brian, Ishit, welcome back. Hey, Jake. How are you? Hey, Jake. How's it going? Doing great. So um, at Amazon, we have uh, leadership principles, and uh, one of them is disagree and commit. And um, I think this might be the most difficult of all of our leadership principles. Why do you guys think that is? I think um, inherently uh, one of the things is we are uh, uh, trained to avoid conflict uh, and many organizations uh, frown upon conflict, even if it is healthy conflict or disagreement. That's number one. And I think number two is it's the commit part, right? So oftentimes you can disagree, but then uh, you fall short of committing to making something happen when uh, whatever you disagreed with is really what is decided to act upon. Um, and so there's a lot of back channel uh, paddling politics that happens many times in companies where uh, uh, the disagreement happens, but then the committing to work together to achieve the outcome uh, with the original decision that you disagreed with uh, does not happen. So I think that's really, mm. in my mind, that's why it's a little hard. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the other piece, though, is there's some, I don't know if it's psychological or or what, but I mean, there's the the saying of not invented here, right? There's something about supporting an idea or a direction that you don't agree with that is challenging, mm. right? And and especially if you don't feel like you were heard. Right. And I think it, it, you know, especially in a group setting, it can get really hard to fully articulate your thoughts in a way that the people heard you um, the way you intended. And so it, it can be a very dissatisfying conversation and it can be an unproductive conversation depending on the individuals. And so I think to, to Ishit's point, I've seen leaders just shut it down. It's like when it gets into conflict, they see it as a waste of time, as, as an unproductive activity. And so they shut it down. And I don't know that it's intentional, but it, it, it ends up having a really negative effect on kind of the dynamics of the group as well. I think it's it can be really healthy to to be able to debate. And that's what I love about that leadership principle. Yeah. And, and it occurs to me that maybe some of our listeners aren't familiar with it. So let me just uh, describe it fully. So the, the full uh, principles have backbone, disagree and commit. And the description is leaders are obligated to respectfully challenge decisions when they disagree, even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting. Leaders have conviction and are tenacious. They do not compromise for the sake of social cohesion. Once a decision is determined, they commit wholly. So what this you know, says to me is if you disagree with something you hear, even in a kind of a public, semi-public, uh, you know, like a group meeting, um, you're expected to speak up and uh, you're expected to challenge the person if you think they're wrong. But once the group makes a decision, then you, you put that aside and everybody moves in the same direction. Is that how you interpret it? Yes. Well, yeah, I, I think the the key that uh, that you just said is the expectation is that you speak up. 
that you voice your concern, right? In general, and we've talked about this before, we have a culture of review processes and strengthening ideas are, you know, our six pagers built on that, on leveraging others. And so, yeah, the expectation is that anything that gets surfaced that was, um, you know, it might go up the chain or might go out to other folks that it, it has been thought through, that people have challenged it, that it is a strong idea that, that we're seeking to strengthen further. Um, so that I think expectation is is huge in our culture, yeah. you know, in terms of conflict. So why do why do so many of us have a hard time with this one, especially initially? I think for me, it is uh, also uh, even when it is uncomfortable part, right? That is where the key key is because it is uncomfortable, and sometimes it is uncomfortable. And I think a lot of time, if you come from a culture which is consensus driven. Uh, and and many times when um, I talk to customers, this comes up uh, is how do you because we talk about our leadership principles and this 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 particular one comes up because many companies have a culture that is consensus driven culture and and the way I like to sort of dig in a little bit there and understand this is is this the consensus on the surface right where you're seeking agreement for the sake of agreement or have you truly given an opportunity for different point of views to be expressed? And then a decision was made and there's a consensus to get behind that decision, whether you originally agreed with it or not. Mm -hmm. And there is a subtle, but a very important difference, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, that's, I think, is the key, right? Is that when, when I hear consensus-driven culture, uh, it's really about, uh, it's not, okay or it's really not nice to disagree and express your point of view right now you could be completely wrong but as a leader and as an organization you're much better off uh having that disagreement be out in the open shine a light because then you end up with a better decision you have at least considered alternatives you have at least considered pitfalls uh and now you know that whatever you're deciding uh, you've considered the uh, pros and cons right I like that shine a light, you know, because it's it's in the dark places where bad things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and so you're making me think about some things we've talked about in the past, right? But um, about like it, the the behaviors that you incentivize, and you know, I've seen leaders that put things out for feedback, but they don't really want feedback. So it's it's like an artificial exercise, right? To say, well, I asked everybody, but they they don't create a culture that would embrace people speaking up and and challenging their ideas. So I think it's you know there there's so much to it that makes it difficult. And your point, Jake, but why it's so difficult? I, I think it is because we've been taught all of these other ways of of doing things. Right. Where we, I mean, I teach our kids right of. Like, well, you can't say that. Hey, you know, they, they might hear you. All, all of these things, right, about, you know, what's polite and and what's okay and, and that just speaking your mind or asking questions that come to your, you know, your head are might be rude or might be make somebody feel bad about themselves. And we teach all of this. Um, and so it, it becomes somewhat unnatural to put yourself on the spot to raise your hand and to say, hey, I don't think that's right. And the social dynamics of that interaction can be difficult. And I think that is why it explicitly uh, says something around that, right? That for the purpose of seeking that social cohesion, you don't want to avoid seeking that disagreement. Because to your point, Brian, that is exactly why you avoid. Because 
when you want to give feedback, you also want to acknowledge what's good in there, right? And you want to acknowledge the effort, right? Uh, and so as leaders, we often feel hesitant to say, well, how do I give a feedback when I disagree on something uh, without discouraging, without without demotivating, or without sort of sounding too negative about uh, the feedback I'm trying to give? And it's it plays with the other principle that we have, right, which is, or part of the other principle that we have, where we talk about willingness to be misunderstood for a long period of time. Now, that is designed for mm-hmm. Externally, when you're taking a bet or placing a bet on an idea, we are willing to be misunderstood for a long period of time. But that applies within the team dynamics as well, right? That it is okay to be misunderstood. And as a team and as a company, you're much better off making a better decision than seeking that uh, that unanimity or a social cohesion. Right. Yeah, we don't compromise the effort for the sake of social cohesion, Right. Social cohesion, could, there's pluses to it, but if we're not challenging each other, and I would even say, especially when you've had trust amongst a team, you should push the boundaries on this one, I think, because you know we're all going to go out there in the world and our ideas are going to be challenged, even if it's without people telling us, they're going to be judging us based on our ideas and our effectiveness. And if we haven't like battle tested those ideas in a, you know, within the confines of our team, then we're kind of going out there without our armor, so to speak. So, you know, I see the the disagree part of disagree and commit as us all kind of making each other stronger and ensuring that we go out there and we do what we're supposed to do. We can have that confidence knowing that my friends, my colleagues have uh, tested this and kind of proven it to a degree. So when I go out there, there's a reasonable expectation that it's going to be a good and successful idea. Hmm. Question for you guys. How much do you think ownership plays into this. And and what I mean by that is we're all owners at Amazon. So our incentive structure is geared towards the broader success of the company, not our individual success. And so my brain is saying, hey, that would make it a lot easier to disagree and commit because ultimately we want the best ideas to flourish because we all benefit from that. I totally agree. I was in fact going to say that that the the other side of that is ownership and and the fact that you have an understanding that everyone is aligned on what we are trying to achieve and the outcome, right? And so there may be disagreement about ways to get there, but there isn't always disagreement in what the focus is, right? It's the customer, customer obsession and the ownership. And when you have that, and I think that's the first part of creating a culture that encourages this kind of behavior is having goals that are aligned, uh, having ownership and skin in the game for the team, because then you get much better transparent and honest feedback. And I also think it's not it's not uh, unique to Amazon, right? I mean, Netflix uh, comes to mind. Netflix is another example mm-hmm. where uh, uh, courage, I think, is is key part of their culture. And they talk about something very similar where they mention that, well, you, you say what you think in the best interest of Netflix, even when it is uncomfortable. So it's a very similar mm. Uh, and you'll yeah, and you'll find that in a lot of high performing culture is that it's it's fairly similar in terms of uh, this power of dissent, right? Like how do you put that forward? Because now you have diversity of idea, diversity of approaches to achieve that outcome, and then you tend to find uh, the best way to move forward. Hmm. I really like that yeah, and- that tying it to ownership because it makes so much sense when you think about it that way. And I think thinking about it that way kind of, and I think this might have been your guys' point. It makes it easier 
because we're talking about the challenge of, of, of thinking this way and actually doing it, but it makes it easier mm -hmm. if you think about it. It's not about me. It's not about him or her, uh, these ideas. It's about this is something we're all going to do and we're all a part of this, right? So like if you're building a house and someone's helping you and they're like hammering the, the nail in the wrong way, you're going to say something, right? Because you want that house to stand up. So you're not doing anyone any favors if you just let them hammer it the wrong way. Um, and you expect the, the other person to do the same because you have a common goal. It's a great point. Yeah, that was such a good example because I was going to say um, back to your point earlier about like that suit of armor, like you're, you know, you know that people have your back and have have validated versus sab someone sabotaging your idea or, you know, kind of fake agreement <laughs> when they may not, they, they think it's a bad idea. They're not helping you strengthen it. They're letting you nail, the, you know, nail it in the mm -hmm. wrong way. I think that's the other underlying piece here is that trust because we all share that expectation that we will weigh in there's a, a trust you know certainly on our team too I, I i feel confident about that that we're not going to let you <laughs> proceed out into the wild with something that isn't vetted that we won't withhold our, our our thoughts about what you've done right another way to think about this is you know the opposite it's something you would do for your enemy really if you think about it uh actually there's a quote i think uh perhaps napoleon uh, never interrupt your opponent when they're making a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you're going to do that with your opponent, yeah. then you with your with your ally and your team members, you should be taking the opposite approach and always interrupt them when they make a mistake. It's a great way to yes. great way to look at that, Jake. Yeah, I love that. Yep. The other aspect that um, besides ownership, right, is this uh, psychological safety, which is very important, right? That. It's so, it, as long as you have a tolerance for making mistakes, right? So that the reason people are uh, hesitant to give feedback or hesitant to ask for feedback and put ideas that may not be fully baked forward sometimes is because mistakes are not tolerated, right? Or there isn't that psychological safety. And so when you have the culture of direct and honest feedback, you also have to back that with the environment of psychological safety, that you're not going to lose your job for actually putting an idea forward that didn't go through or wasn't accepted right. uh, and actually went through several iteration and looks completely different than what uh, you originally proposed. Um, so you're not going to be punished for that, right? And that psychological safety plays a huge role, not only in the people generating the idea, but folks even giving the feedback because now you know that if you're giving the feedback to your mm. colleague, it's not going to be held against them. Mm. Uh, powerful. Well, and you know the example that comes to mind for me is putting forward a six pager or whatever. There's nobody's name on it, <laughs> right? Because to your point, it's like it's not about whether or not your first draft was strong or that hey, well, Ishit didn't put forward a good first draft, and so he's punished for that. It's it's like. That never happens, though. Well, of course. The, <laughs> so that was such a hypothetical. Of course not. But, you know, obviously what, what ends up being put forward is a collection of ideas from lots of people. And so there's no name on it. And I think that further reinforces, to your point, like some work, some don't. Some start off strong, some don't. And all of that is okay. But I think, so the interesting question that we should we should talk about is we've pulled out a bunch of things that exist at Amazon that help create this kind of environment that that support you know disagree and commit how do you more broadly adopt this sort of culture or or allow create space for the strengthening of ideas for conf healthy conflict do you guys have ideas on that i think i should touched on that uh 
a moment ago, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ashit, but as I understood your point, you were saying that kind of knowing you have to know there has to be trust, right? And, and most organizations, when you don't like intrinsically have that trust, you don't have that sense of ownership and you don't believe that the person to your left and your right is trying to accomplish the same thing and we're all trying to make this bigger thing successful, then you know, the way you kind of like a really weak way to do that is to not insult them, right? To just kind of nod your head and say, hey, great idea, even when it's not a good idea. But once you've developed true trust with your team members and, and the people you work with, then there's safety in disagreeing because the way they perceive it is completely different mm -hmm. than the way they would perceive if there wasn't that trust. Yeah. And so it's, it's a prerequisite to disagree and commit, I would say, to have that trust in place with the people you work with. And I think with the trust, one of the debate that I, I have uh, had personally uh, often, right, is, is trust earned or is trust given? And, and I would love to get your thoughts because I have, uh, um, I had a boss once and, and I, I always said, well, trust is earned, right? And it's partially true. And his, uh, his counterpoint was that, no, trust is given. And once you give the trust immediately, what happens is that <laughs> unless I find you with your hands in the cookie jar, I'm going to trust you. Right. Because when yeah. you put that bar as to say, well, you have to trust on trust, that means you're starting that culture in the team of, well, show me that you're not going to do anything with the negative with this trust and you're earning. Right. Versus mm -hmm. you start with the trust. And so I thought that was a very powerful lesson personally, because mm -hmm. uh, I had actually thought about it differently. Right. Um, to say, well, you earn trust over a period of time mm -hmm. versus when you're forming a team. Start with the trust. Assume good intention, right? Assume that everyone is trying to actually do uh, something right, and then uh, and then go from there because that creates this. That takes out the intention part of it, right? Because people don't know intention; people see action. Yep, absolutely. And you know what? The answer yeah. I think is both. It's both. I think it is both. You know, as a leader, you have to earn trust and you have to give trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this actually ties into game theory in a, in a way, and you could prove this with mathematics, um, that, that that's the correct strategy, at least a, it's a simplified version of a correct strategy. It's a good starting strategy, let's put it that way. Like you, you assume trust until someone violates it, um, but you also take steps to build trust. Now, if they violate it, then your strategy has to change, of course. But, um, but I, I would say as a leader, you have to do both because then you can there's going to be people out there who take one approach or the other, or maybe like the worst of both, which is don't earn trust and don't give trust, right? But excluding that last category, you can get along with anybody who's like, if their strategy is you have to earn my trust first and I'm not going to give it, you can establish trust with them. If you have that, I'm going to give and I'm going to earn. And people mm -hmm. who are the opposite, you can also do that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very powerful strategy as a leader to take to, to do both. Yep. I think the second thing that I have, uh, how do you actually go about creating such culture, right? Uh, that I have uh, found useful as a leader is often conflicts or disagreements are brought to you, right? Sort of as a referee, right? That uh, between two directs, peers, whatever, right? To say, hey, you know, XYZ is doing this or I don't agree. And one thing that I, I would do is let's go to her, let's call her or let's call him, right? And then let's get together. And then often you will be like, oh, no, 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 I, I just wanted to let you know, right? And there is no let you know, right? Either we're going to talk about it. And if you feel strongly about it, let's just talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
and so you you have to lead by example by sort of forcing because it is uncomfortable it is unnatural you have to force that uh, behavior right and say fine if you're not uh, willing to talk about this in a in a big meeting let's just get three of us together and start talking about it but i would i'm not going to take the message uh, and then play the referee or the or the communication guard between the two wearing parties, right? Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to right. get everybody together and we're going to talk about it like professionals. Yeah, you're going to create the conflict, put it on the table and hash it out. Yes. Which I, I totally agree with. Look, I believe I agree with what you're just saying, Jake, about trust too. And and I think that it should, that's one way that you earn trust and you create space for people to earn trust, right? So we're, we're kind of talking about two things, the trust of others, and then as an individual, earning and giving trust. Mm-hmm. I think as a leader, like I've had leaders that there was like, your your starting point was no trust, which is kind of what you were saying is shit. And it can be a very, it can create a very negative environment, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it can create like a defensive behaviors or you know, people being unwilling to push the envelope and challenge things because they haven't earned the trust yet. And I mean, frankly, we have that conversation. I've had that conversation with some sales leaders. Have you earned trust with, you know, um, with your customer yet? But there is a middle ground because you can also get burned. There's so much politics involved with all of this, right? If you give trust to everyone, if your starting point is you have 100% of my trust, you will get burned. You will overtrust somebody that does not deserve that trust. Right. But it's still the right strategy, at least for, as an opening move. Yeah. You have to create the space for them to do things to earn trust, but not start off being negative. It's like you need to give them 50%, right? Get, get them like halfway there as a starting point. Majority of people are going to have a, a, a strategy where you're going to have to earn my trust and then I'll give you, then we'll have trust, right? So knowing that mm-hmm. so many people have that attitude, if you just give trust to everybody, yeah, of course you're going to be wrong and you're going to get burned a few times. Yeah. But then the, the strategy gets deeper and it's like people who have you know violated my trust, I don't trust them for a period of time until they earn it back, right? And so you're never going to have a 100% success rate. But overall, I believe you'll be more successful dealing with the majority of people if you do that. Yeah. And I think that is where you don't, you don't design your culture uh, based on exception, yep. right? That's not how you design the culture, right? It's very interesting. I, I was having a conversation with... Uh, with a controller, uh, and we were talking about uh, cost optimization and digitization of uh, processes that they were embarking on, uh, and they'd invested a lot of money in a uh, in a travel and expense system, and they were paying so much for licensing and really didn't see any benefit, right? And then we started talking about it, uh, and uh, and what he told me was they would now have a ability from mobile app to say take a picture of a receipt and and submit it, right? Um, but they were they still required folks to uh, send the physical receipts uh, to a mailbox. And, uh, and I said, why? And I was like, well, it's audit. And then we, we started digging in. I'm like, I don't I don't know if it's an audit requirement yeah, beyond, you know, so. certain dollars, whatever. And then uh, and then, you know, it started it said, well, but sometimes, you know, employees have submitted multiple uh, expenses using the same receipt because the physical receipt is still out there. So we want to make sure we have physical receipt. Right. Now, that's a classic example of I'm pretty sure that there may be some employees who may have taken uh, advantage of this thing. But now you're creating a process and creating a culture of not trusting 
all of your employees, right? And again, I'll, I'll go back to Netflix. I actually mentioned this to him that Netflix's expense policy is, I think, five or six words, act in the best interest of the company, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. the idea there is, well, do we think that somebody may take advantage of this? Sure, maybe, right? But do we think that this will make it easier for a vast majority of the employees? Yes. And so mm-hmm. right. when you're designing and thinking about the culture, uh, you can't go and design it based on catching exception, right? This is not the, this is not the code. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I feel like we've talked about the, the risk register in the past, right, in terms of cloud migrations, multi-cloud, whatever else. I think it's a great model too, though, for HR policies, financial policies, right? To your point, it's like, what's the likelihood that someone is going to submit duplicate expenses and get paid twice? I mean, yes, it's a risk. What's the probability of it happening? What what do we believe, you know, um, the likelihood, like the the impact it'll have, whatever else. And then do you mitigate it or not? You know, do you do you put in a process that slows everybody down in order to mitigate that risk? Or do you accept that risk and then maybe build something to detect that issue so you can punish those that are that are breaking policy, right? There's I feel like there are so many I've seen a lot of HR policies that play to the lowest common denominator, and it, it's really not helping the culture mm-hmm. at all. And I, I, that is also where a lot of time when we think about digital transformation and hear about uh, investments happening in technology and systems uh, to automate, digitize, improve, uh, innovate, but then they are uh, supported by these systems, right? And so we often talk about how it's really the process and the people and the structure and not really of technology, right? You could actually take a very poor system in the process and digitize it, and it will not make it better. It You're just doing the bad thing faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a pattern. Like if you can't play basketball and you go buy, you know, the best basketball shoes out there, you're not going to be a better player. But you can you can wear like some what sandals and just practice your your jump shot over and over again. You're going to get better, right? So yeah. while both are important, people tend to focus on the easy things, the things they can buy, or the the things that aren't tough to change. You know, so true. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, should I, another, I'm, I'm reading between the lines a lot today with you, but uh, sure. I think you you know a point you made we kind of glossed over. You're good with that. <laughs> I'm just a fan. Uh, you know, it it seems like. Disagree is going to happen no matter what. There's no way you can just stop disagreement. But if you don't allow it, what ends up happening is it happens like behind closed doors. You know, like your example. And we were laughing because I think every leader has been through this several times mm-hmm. where, you know, two of your subordinates disagree. They don't say anything. They got a nod and smile. And then one of them's in your office like five minutes later complaining about the other one. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of disagreement doesn't do anyone any good, you know, and our ideal outcome is like what you just said to me. Let's go back to this person and say it in front of them. Right. Let's put it all out in the open, you know, because it's not going to get resolved unless we do that. In fact, not only is it will not get resolved, it's going to get worse because you're going to be stewing over it. You're going to be talking to other people about it. The other person's going to hear about it. Right. So so our goal is, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about this because the disagreement is going to happen no matter what. What we're talking about with disagree and commit is let's do it in a way that's productive. Correct. So that we can actually make positive change. Jake, I feel like that's such an obvious thing that you just said, but that is I mean, that is everything. The d- disagreement is going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so why are you creating a culture that allows disagreement to happen in an unproductive way that, that doesn't lead to a commit? Right. It's it's 
It can't. I don't think you should, but I think a lot of a lot of cultures. No, I mean do, it can't lead to a commit if you do it in that way, right? If, right, if you're never right. getting the disagreeing parties together, there can never be in a commitment. I think I think they're just missing that fact that you just said though. The disagreements will happen no matter what. It was and it's such idea, a simple thing that. No, I'm I'm giving you credit. <laughs> oh, thank you, I appreciate that. That's what I opened this podcast with, Brian. But thanks. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! Sorry, <laughs> I was sleeping. But you know, it's funny. I I think I knew this before. Like to your point, Brian, it's obvious in retrospect. But I never really thought yeah. about it deeply until the shit kind of made Me that neither. point. And I'm like, you know what? That's what it is. It's it's not that it we're is. saying to disagree. We're just saying dis disagree in the way that was going to get us smarter and get us moving towards our goal faster. You know, when I'm reading the description of have backbone, disagree and commit. So there's, we talked a lot about the disagree part and a little bit about the commit part, but there's some parts in the middle here that are interesting too. It says, even when doing so is uncomfortable and, or exhausting. And I don't know, I might say, especially when it's uncomfortable or exhausting hmm. might, might be more appropriate. What do you think? Yes, definitely. I think that the exhausting part is I actually really appreciate the recognition of how difficult it is to meaningfully disagree with somebody. And I think I think the challenge, I guess what's not said in there, and, and I, one of the difficult pieces is, when do you decide that it's time to commit? Um, right, because I, I, if I'm thinking of the same conversation that you are, I feel like we, we were like, well, that was a great disagreement session. <laughs> you know, and, and there wasn't necessarily an explicit commit. It, it was a good debate, but I think knowing when to, to cut it off and say, okay, well, we've, we've heard everybody or enough. And at some point someone needs to make a decision and, and that we are all going to commit to. And that to me is, is really challenging. That's an art I'd say. Sometimes what I have, I've found useful, right. Is to put some, and this is not to slow it down. Right. But sometimes what I've found useful is put some distance between the disagree conversation and the commit conversation. Hmm. Right? Depending on how exhausting and how tough the disagreement has been, right? Because it just gives everyone an emotional space to commit better. That's that's one thing that I've I've seen. So I, I I tend to use this quite a lot personally too. Where I'll say I'm just going to sleep on it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. that's not because I've not decided what I'm going to do. I just need space to move to take that step. Right. Well, I think that's a, f a fantastic suggestion, but I think also inherent in that suggestion is the idea that it's not necessarily one disagree and commit like session. Mm -hmm. It's like we can disagree. We can, we can meet three times and disagree all three mm -hmm. times. Right. But, but we're strengthening the ideas. We're closing in on what we want and, at, and, and then we'll commit at some point. It, it doesn't have to be that every, well, we just invested 30 minutes, so now it's time to commit. Yes. Um, so I, I, that is important. And I, I like the sleep on it because it is, it gets emotional, right? Mm -hmm. It's exhausting and emotional. And um, and it is good to just take a step away from it and let it let it sit for a period of time. Correct. And so I think that's where that aspect of not rushing to close out that disagreement. Because again, in that process of what you're saying is we disagree, but you're not going to commit right now at this moment. You are letting that disagreement linger a little bit longer. 
And that is again uncomfortable and exhausting. It is. But yes. but yeah. often what I've seen is when you get out of that emotional state of being disagree being being in the disagreement, right? Uh Mm-hmm. You sometimes may think of something else or there may be a different idea or maybe a different approach that just emerges out of that offense defense conversation that happens mm-hmm. in that disagreement. So so again it's it's not seeking that comfort because what we try to do is by making that commit we want to get out of that disagreement portion sooner. And that's nothing different than spending more time in the problem space, right? Because Coming to a conclusion is emotionally very gratifying. It's satisfying, right? Mm-hmm. That oh, I put that yes. behind me. Yes, it is. Now I can go and do something different, right? <laughs> uh, and yes. so that's why I think it is this this part that Jake you highlighted about uh, exhausting uh, is important because you 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 have to let that disagreement linger long enough for it to truly be a productive disagreement. It's a skill on so many levels, learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it applies here. Yep. Well, wonderful conversation, guys. Uh, I think this was a good subject. Maybe we'll do a part two. Yeah, it was fun. It was great. Thanks for having us again, Jake. As we discussed, disagreement is going to happen in an organization. But it's important to create a culture that promotes committing as well, no matter how tough the disagreement was. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and remember to submit your questions either on our enterprise strategy blog or directly to us on LinkedIn. We'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.